Hello and welcome to my dining table. Don't know if you remember, but people used to go round to one another's homes to have meals. I really miss that. I guess right now we'd take a meal indoors with just about anyone, uh, so long as it was safe and allowed. But back when there was less desperation about these things, we would sometimes have conversations with one another along the lines of, you know, if you could have anyone from history uh, around uh, to your house for dinner, who would it be? And if you're a Christian, you might have uh, some Christian heroes that you would particularly like uh, to get to know, to meet and to hear their stories. Uh, we're looking today at a letter written by the Apostle Peter, one of the most famous Christians in the Bible. And I kind of think he'd be a great dinner party guest. Uh, just a huge personality and loads of amazing stories to tell. Maybe you'd want to have people from uh, uh, a huge social change, such as the civil rights movement or the abolitionists. Maybe you would love to hear God's word explained by great preachers or church leaders. Maybe you'd want to listen to the stories of missionary pioneers and the adventures they've been on with God. I wonder how we'd actually feel like if a meal like that took place at our house. If I had the Apostle Peter and Augustine and John Calvin and Mary Slessor and Harriet Tubman and Charles Spurgeon uh, round to my house for dinner, I'm not sure I'd enjoy it at all. All those amazing people round the table and me. I, you know, just talk about you know, feeling lazy, stupid, insignificant as they all share all their world-changing things that they'd done and then the conversation would come around to me. Humans do a lot of looking up and looking down. We look up at people or look up to people and often feel worse because they seem to be better than us. And so to make us feel better, we look down at other people and we feel better than them. We naturally create hierarchies. Even churches do this. But the gospel abolishes all of this way of thinking. As we start to look at Peter's second letter in the New Testament, we're going to be shown an amazing truth that will set us free from hierarchies, from unhealthy senses of inferiority or competition. It will also give us comfort and peace at a time when so many of us feel exhausted and dispirited and, to be honest, maybe just a bit fed up with ourselves as well as the situation that we're in. So let's read the first two verses of Second Peter. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. This is God's word. And Lord, we pray right now that you would shine its light into our hearts and that we would understand what you have done for us and who that has made us to be and that would release us into love for others. Amen. So yeah, you did hear that right. The Apostle Peter just said that any and every Christian has a faith of equal standing with him. So yes, that's Peter who walked on water with Jesus, who witnessed the glory of the transfiguration, 
uh, who saw and talked and walked with the resurrected Jesus, who preached to thousands, who did amazing miracles, who led the early church. He's saying that our faith is of equal standing with his. I find that incredible. I find it barely believable. But Peter is absolutely certain of it. He's writing to a, a mixed group of Christians. Some of them will have come from a Jewish background like he did, and they were the people of God for centuries, and they'd lived with the promises uh, of God. Others of them would have come from a non-Jewish background, a Gentile background, and they would have, throughout all of that time, been considered the enemies of the people of God and have known nothing about him. Some may have been first-generation believers, possible eyewitnesses of the resurrection themselves, uh, or saved having heard the preaching of someone like Peter or Paul or one of the other apostles. Others of them uh, would have become Christians from their, their parents or friends, telling them uh, the story of Jesus. So it's like they're second or third generation Christians. Some were leaders, some were teachers, some were passionate, some were compassionate. Others were confused, uh, a bit apathetic, um, tempted to compromise to make their lives a bit easier. Others would have made everyone else's lives a bit harder. Peter says that they all have equally precious faith. And he uses a number of pairings in this brief introduction uh, to begin to make his case. He calls himself Simeon Peter. And that's a combination of his original Jewish name. Simeon is the Jewish version of, that we would use as Simon. And the Greek or Gentile uh, form of the name that Jesus gave him, Peter. And so Simeon Peter is like this Jew and Gentile coming together. And then he greets them with what became uh, a common Christian phrase, grace and peace to you. Now, grace uh, is charis, is what the, um, the, the Romans would typically say, used to say hello to one another. And peace, shalom, is how the Jews would greet one another. So by saying grace and peace, he's again bringing these two cultures together. There's another pairing hidden in the uh, word uh, for equal standing, which we'll look at a little bit later on. But all these pairs point to a, a parity, point to a unity through everyone having a faith of equal standing. But how is this the case? Is Peter maybe just being a little bit sentimental, just trying to win people over at the start of his letter by saying some nice things that make them think, oh, he really likes us? No, not at all. He says that God's righteousness, which in this context means God's fairness, has done this. And I want us to focus on the explanation Peter gives of how God has done this. He talks about all Christians having obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. We're going to look at the three parts of that statement. Firstly, this word obtained. Now, the NIV translation uh, uses the word received at this point. And I think that's really helpful for emphasizing how little this had to do with us. We weren't the ones making it happen. It happened to us. It was outside of our control. In Peter's own life, um, he didn't come up with the idea of Jesus. He first heard about Jesus from his brother. And then Jesus called Peter to follow him. As Jesus later put it, you did not choose me, but I chose you. But there's more to it than that. Peter wasn't just recruited for an adventure that Peter was then going to go off and do by himself. He refers to Jesus here as our saviour. 
Now, the Romans would refer to um, use this title of savior uh, sometimes for, for like one of their gods uh, who'd done something that had blessed the people somehow, or for a general or for an emperor who'd won a great battle that had brought peace and prosperity to many others. And so Peter is saying here that not only did Jesus do the choosing, but Jesus did the achieving. He did the saving, both of which we did nothing to make happen. Now, Peter was a self-made kind of guy. He's always taking the initiative. He's always stepping in. He's always front foot forward. And that's a wonderful personality trait uh, to have, uh, except in the Gospels, it usually leads to him ending up in trouble. He had to realise that being chosen by Jesus wasn't an achievement that then led to a load of heroic acts by Peter. It was a rescue achieved by Jesus from first to last. Peter needed saving. He needed a sacrifice to be made for him that would cleanse him of all the guilt from all the wrong things that he'd done. He needed to be set free from the powers of sin and death. He needed someone to win a victory that he could never win. He needed Jesus to live a perfect life, die on his behalf and be raised to an eternal life that he would share with him. And that's exactly what Jesus did for Peter and for all who trust in him. This gives us no room for boasting. There's no sense of us having achieved this at all. It was Jesus who did it. So we can't feel superior to anyone else. And it should also prevent us from feeling less than other people because everyone needed saving in this same way. So we've obtained or received this. What is it that we've received? Uh, Peter says it's a faith of equal standing. So let's talk about faith. In the course of his time with Jesus, Peter went from thinking that he was just following a really good teacher to realizing that he was with the Messiah, the Christ, the divinely anointed savior. This belief meant that he saw something in Jesus that not everyone else saw and and he put the full weight of his life in trust on Jesus. He says in Matthew 19, we've left everything and followed you. And later on in Luke, uh, in John 6, sorry, when invited by Jesus to kind of go off and do his own thing, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That is faith. That's the faith that saves us, trusting in who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Now, interestingly, when we think about faith, we might think of the original apostles and think, whoa, they saw the resurrected Jesus. That's amazing. But here, Peter and elsewhere, the other apostles would actually look at our circumstances and think, whoa, they've never seen Jesus. And yet they believe in him. That's amazing. Peter was in the room uh, when Jesus received Thomas's worship after Thomas had seen Jesus face to face. And Jesus says to Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And Peter reiterates this in his first letter. He says, though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. 
Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And and Peter calls this faith more precious than gold. It so delights the heart of God. It's more precious than gold and it endures. And even gold will one day perish. But this faith endures forever with the rewards that God gives. This was what Peter then preached after Jesus had returned to heaven, that Jesus would save all those who believed in him. And this has this led to a decisive moment in church history, uh, hugely important for us and definitely in Peter's mind uh, when he's writing these words. See, at first, most of the followers of Jesus were Jewish, uh, part of the historic people of God, and they thought that Jesus had come just for the Jews. But God gave Peter a vision that showed him that salvation was for anyone from any background and there was to be no distinctions between where people came from. And this made him realise that faith was the proof of this. So the first time he preached to the Gentiles in Acts 10, he tells them to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And later on, when he was explaining to other Jewish Christians what he'd done and why he'd done it, he told them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Salvation is not about ethnic background. Faith is not about merit or effort. It's all about trusting Jesus. Whether you were an eyewitness of the resurrection or 2000 years later, your mum told you about it. Whether you have a glorious Jewish heritage or a shady past that you don't want anyone to know about. We're all saved in the same way through faith alone. This leads us to the final word in Peter's explanation and that hidden pairing that I mentioned earlier. We've obtained or received a faith by which we're saved of equal standing. The Greek word here was used to describe people uh, who were foreigners but had become citizens of another country or empire. And they thus now had all the same rights and privileges as those who'd been born in that country. And so just as Jesus, uh, as Peter brought together the Jewish and Gentile uh, in his name and in his greeting, so with his use of this word. It's the logical conclusion of us receiving something uh, rather than earning it and of believing in Jesus rather than of saving ourselves. We're all equal because Jesus has given each of us the same salvation by the same means. Now, when we get worried about hierarchies, about inferiority or superiority complexes, we usually try to fix things by kind of basically pulling everyone down to the same level. Those who are wanting, who, who are wanting to take like a personal lead in this, who say, I don't want you to think that I'm better than you. Uh, they'll share about, you know, the stupid or the wrong things they've done or the weaknesses that they're prone to. And that can sometimes be helpful for, uh, for humility, uh, for accountability, for preventing idolatry. And maybe if we're on the outside of these circumstances or kind of on the underside of something, uh, we may 
to kind of level things up, try and find you know, dirt or imperfections in those who, who seem to be superior to us um, and so that they lose their power. We kind of bring them down to our level. But Peter's point isn't that we're all rubbish, but that all believers have been elevated by Jesus to the same heavenly rank. As he puts it in his first letter, we are, all of us, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You could sit around a table with a thousand Christians from around the world and across the centuries, and none of them would have a faith of greater value than yours. None of them would matter more to God than you do. I'm almost wary of saying this because it's so open to misinterpretation and abuse, but it's true and it's the gospel. We've just had a week of prayer. And if you've attended everything we've done and prayed loads by yourself as well, or if you haven't done a single thing about it, you completely forgot or you just didn't care, your faith is of the same value. If lockdown has caused you to drop out of everything to do with church and you're not even watching this preach, whether it's all been too much or frankly, it's just been an excuse for you not to bother. Your faith is as of the same value as someone who's been here every week and at small group every week and doing loads of other great things as well. If you have been doing everything you can to protect others from possible virus transmission, or if you've just been going around doing whatever you want, like a super spreader, your faith is of the same value. Now, Peter will have a lot to say about how we should live in the rest of this letter. And it's vitally important how we live because it proves the presence of this saving faith in us. And some people will grow more and achieve more and love more. But he teaches us this in the context of reminding us of our equally precious shared faith given to us by God. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus right now. Maybe it feels like you've spent your whole life trying to climb up greasy poles or being trampled down by others. Maybe you're desperate to prove yourself Or maybe you're petrified that if people really knew who you were and what you were like, they'd want to have nothing to do with you. Today, Jesus, who knows all about you, is offering you all his riches and his status before God if you will put your trust in him. He is offering to wipe your slates clean, to cleanse you from your past and to bring you into his family. As Peter said, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. If you know you need that forgiveness, you can ask him for it today and you can start now to put your trust in him, to give your life to him. And we would love to help you with that. So please get in contact with us if you've made that decision or you're wanting to explore how to do it. For those of us who are following Jesus I want to encourage us not to make sure that we don't just apply this wonderful releasing truth to ourselves. We must think this way about all believers. 
All of them. All Christians. Whether we think they're crazy or we think they're compromised, whether they wind us up or they've let us down. Now, this is hard at any time, but especially now when we are all going through the same hard thing and reacting in different ways to it. Some people, are they're just working so diligently, so hard, harder even than they were before. And others have just given up. Some are reaching out. Some have closed themselves off. Some are dealing with huge amounts of turmoil and are somehow still going. Some are overwhelmed with what seems like a lot less. Some are praying and serving and loving, and some are not and don't even seem to care about it. The easiest thing to do when we feel like we're on the right side of these pairings is to look down on those who aren't. And when those temptations come, why not instead of letting angry and resentful thoughts fester in you, You pray these verses that we've been looking at today over that person. That they are those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and our Saviour Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to them in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. I think that will help you get God's perspective on them. And it will probably also help you get his perspective on you when you let him down and when you let yourself down. Let's finish by going back to that dinner party guest list that I was talking about earlier. And I also said earlier that any believer could sit with any and all Christians who have achieved incredible things with God and not feel inferior. Let me correct that slightly. We will sit with all believers. It is going to happen. A wedding feast is one of the main images used in the Bible to describe the eternal life to come that's given by Jesus to all of his people. And so whether our faith came with our dying breath or at the start of decades of selfless service, we will be at the feast together. Now, some may have more stories to tell than others. Some may have received more rewards from God for what they did. But our eyes won't be on each other, comparing ourselves, hoping that we fit in, hoping that we feel better than some others. All eyes will be on Jesus, the bridegroom, the saviour, the one who has brought each and every one of us to himself, who bought us by his so precious blood. And we will praise him and we will eat with him and with one another together in joyful unity forever.